Hello, and welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. My name is Jamie Edwards, and I'm a full-time professional endurance coach, age group triathlete, and triathlon fan. The Diary of an Age Grouper podcast is all about content relevant to age groupers. We'll talk to athletes, coaches, and experts who walk the walk. In this episode of Diary of an Age Grouper, we speak to Renee Kylie. These days, Renee is actually racing in the professional field after deciding to go all in on her triathlon goals several years ago. Her journey had very humble beginnings, but going all in is a recurring theme for her. Renee talks us through it all. I think there is something for everybody in this one. Renee, welcome to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. Can you start by painting a picture? Where are you? in the world now and why, what do you do for a living and what's the training agenda on the training agenda for the day? Oh gosh, I have a really hard day of training today. (laughs) Thanks for reminding me. Um, I am in St. Moritz in Switzerland, uh, which is at about 1800 meters altitude. So I've been here for a couple of months now. Um, And I've actually, this is my fourth summer in St. Moritz. So really familiar with the place. It kind of feels like home. Um, If anyone follows me on Instagram, they know I'm always saying it's the most beautiful place in the world. Um, So yeah, doing a few months training camp here before actually next week I head to Font-Rameur in France. Um, And on the schedule today, I have a 5K VO2 max main set swim. And then a bit of a rest and hopefully a little sleep. And then I have a two-hour bike trainer session with five by 10 minutes at threshold with 90 seconds rest in between, followed by 15 800s at threshold on the track off that bike. Okay, so big day then. Now, obviously, the name of this podcast is Diary of an Age Grouper, and we're quite (laughs) clearly talking to a professional now. So next thing is to for you to go back and tell us where it all began, how you got started, because you've got quite an Mm -hmm. interesting story. I know little bits about it. So if you go right back to the beginning and uh, and, Mm -hmm. and tell us everything that's happened leading up to this day and that big training day that you've got planned. Yep. Um, I'll definitely give you the summarized version because I feel like it's been quite a while now since I did my first triathlon. So it would take forever to give you the long version. But back in end of 2013, I was in a really bad state of health. Um, Basically, life couldn't be more different to what it is now. Um, I was working in the corporate world, quite successful, um, was founder and co-director of two or three small to medium businesses. We had about back then 20 to 25 staff between the businesses um, doing really well. Started those businesses when I was 24 years old, um, so quite young. Um, I had, so going back to end of 2013, I'd never heard of triathlon before. 
I'd never run more than a few kilometers um, without stopping. I'd never ridden a bike as an adult. Um, I swam a little bit as a kid, um, as most Aussie kids do, but hadn't swam since, I guess, the end of primary school. And I went to visit some friends in Queensland and they said, uh, oh, our friend's doing this thing called the Noosa Triathlon, which is pretty famous in triathlete world. Um, do you mind, like we promised her we'd go and pop in and like cheer for her. Do you mind if we just pop in and do that for a couple of hours while you're here and then we'll leave? And I said, yeah, no problem, of course, because I'd always loved sport growing up. So anyway, we went to the Noosa Triathlon and, um, yeah, it was kind of like a life-changing moment for me. I was standing on the barriers as the all the bike riders came into T2 and I just remember standing there and I was so out of place. Like I was a hundred and almost 105 kilograms at the time. I was smoking a packet of cigarettes a day. Yeah, as I said, working in the corporate world. I had hair extensions halfway down my back, fake tan on. So yeah, I would have looked really out of place at this triathlon. <laughs> Um, but I was standing on the barriers and I was watching all the bikes that people come into T2. And I just remember having this moment where I thought, gosh, everyone just looks like they're having the best time. They look so happy. There's old people doing this, young people, big people, fit looking people. Yeah. Maybe like in a year's time, I could do this triathlon. Like it can't be that hard to learn how to ride a bike. And I swam a little bit like as a kid and yeah, maybe I could do it. So we watched, that was my kind of moment, I guess. And I went back home a few days later and signed up for the new, that Noosa triathlon the following year. I didn't tell anyone because they would have thought I was crazy at the time. And yeah, that was like, I guess the semi beginning of the journey. I didn't start training or anything because it was Christmas then. And it's like Christmas corporate season. And that was my life back then, you know, going to parties, smoking, drinking, um but on the 2nd of January 2014 I walked into a bike shop and I bought my first road bike $600 white Scott road bike with just like the metal flat pedals and um that was the real beginning of the journey I pretty much I didn't join a tri club or anything like that straight away I didn't get a coach straight away because I was too embarrassed by my size um but I'd pretty much just made an effort to do some sort of movement, either swim, biking or running twice a day, like before work and after work. And that sounds like a lot, but it wasn't, we're talking like 30 minutes in those early days. I just made a commitment to doing something for 30 minutes before work or 30 minutes at lunchtime and 30 minutes after work every day. And then March 2014, end of March 2014, I did my first sprint distance triathlon and I came 252nd female in that race that was just the one in I was living in Melbourne at the time and I think it was the Gatorade series it might be the two times you series now yep so yeah that was the, the first triathlon end of March 2014. All of this has obviously happened and we're going to talk about what happens after that but yeah that's all in a 10 10 year period which is which is quite impressive so would you say the trigger was, were there any signs that you were sort of unhappy or wanted to make changes before going to that Noosa Triathlon or was was being there and being in that environment, that, that was the trigger? Yeah, it, look, thinking back now, like 
at the time I didn't think I was unhappy. I like I didn't because I had nice things. I had a successful business. I had lots of money, uh, designer clothes, all those kinds of things. There were certainly moments where, um, you know, looking at yourself in the mirror, um, going to social functions or potentially actually I was even like avoiding social functions a little bit back then because I was uncomfortable with what I looked like going to doctors for various things where they would do like um, checkups and things like that. And you would be told like you're not in a very good state of health, like blood pressure is high, things like that. So there was definitely like moments between, I would say like leaving school and like that university time through to when I was 30. So we're talking about a 10, 12 year period. There was definitely moments where I was like, oh gosh, this is like, I'm getting a bit out of hand or I'm getting unhealthy or I'm getting fat. But also, I think like um, when you're successful and earning really good money and have all these material things, like that's a way of covering up unhappiness. Um, so I think it was I was quite good at doing that. So I guess watching that first triathlon and having that moment, I never, and I've said this before, I never set out to lose weight. Like that decision to sign up for the Noosa triathlon was literally I was so intrigued by the triathlon and wanting to see if I could do that. Um, the weight loss really was secondary in the journey, like of triathlon. Had you, what was, what about your, when you were growing up, had you been involved in sport then? Yeah, I had actually, I was um, pretty good at basketball. Uh, so Growing up, I was like typical Aussie kid. You know, I did swimming, I did ballet, I did basketball, I did tennis, and then none of them, just as a normal kid, you know, all that I was pretty good at most of them. And then I had that typical conversation with parents when I was about 10 or 11, you know, we can't keep chasing you around for all these different sports. You need to choose like one to focus on. So I chose basketball um, and I, I actually was like in New South Wales, I was living in New South Wales when growing up and I was in chosen in the New South Wales state teams for basketball from the time I was like 13 through to 17. So I was playing at like a state national level of basketball. Um, so I, I would say like I was never like one of those like super talented kids, but I always like had a pretty hard work ethic and like worked, yeah, just worked really hard, trained really hard. So I played at, yeah, that national level of basketball team sports until I was about 17 and then I left home after year 12 and started university and that all went by the wayside. That's pretty much when I stopped exercising and started drinking and started smoking heavier. Yeah, okay. So you're obviously in many ways quite successful and quite successful at a young age. So can you paint the picture a little bit of you know, what industry were you in, how many hours per week were you working? And then also just mm -hmm. to give us a bit more of an idea, when you say you would when you first started doing those sessions, yeah, what did they look what, what did they look like? Give us an example of a of a swim and a bike and a run session. And then we'll be move mm -hmm. on to the to the next the next stage, the next chapter. Yeah. So like with work, I moved to I, I grew up in a little country town called Narandra, which is like in the middle of New South Wales, population five thousand people. It's near Wagga Wagga. Um, so when I finished school, I moved to Melbourne to go to university and my parents were like, uh, I, I was never handed anything. Like we had to work for everything. So I never, my parents didn't pay for my uni or anything like that. So I had to get a part-time job when I moved to Melbourne. So I got a part-time job with actually a relative, um, 
that was working in the finance or he owned a finance company. So I just got a job part-time, like a few days a week, making coffees and stuff between, between uni, doing that in uni, sort of to pay my own way. But I fell in love with work um, and I didn't really enjoy uni. I just felt like I was quite mature for my age and I just liked the independence and earning my own money. And I felt like I was a bit over the whole uni scene, you know, like uh, a lot of the kids there hadn't been out or done any, you know, all that stuff you do as teenagers drinking and stuff. So they're all like doing it then at uni. And I was kind of like past all that. And I just wanted to focus on the actual like schooling side of it. So I didn't really enjoy uni that much. So I did uni for a year and a half full-time while working part-time at the same time. And then I actually cut uni back to part-time and like picked up more hours at work. And then eventually I was like, you know what, I just want to work full-time. So I started working, I progressed up at work to like a PA type role by the time I was, I guess I was like 19. Um and I started working full-time. So by the age of 20, actually, um, I'd worked my way up to being a mortgage broker, um, which is highly unusual at that age because, like, most 20-year-olds don't even know what a mortgage is, let alone advising other people on the best way to get mortgages. Um, and I bought my first investment property. I would have been 20 or 21 as well at that time. So back then I was working kind of like standard hours, um, but I would say by the time I was 22, I was like working pretty long hours and I was self-employed, a contractor as a mortgage broker at that time. So probably I was on a contract. So my income was determined by how hard I worked. I didn't have the safety of a wage anymore. So that was when I really ramped up work, but I was also doing really well. So I probably was working 50 to 55 hours a week, I think, by a pretty young age, like 22, I would guess, 23. And then at the age of 24, my actually my best friend, I'd got him a job as well at this finance company and he'd worked his way up um, as well. And he said to me one day when we're 24, I don't know why we're doing this for someone else. Like, I think we can go and do this on our own. And he'd always been like the bean counter and the number guy of our relationship. And I'd kind of been like the salesy marketing type personality. So I trusted him and I knew that if he said that, we could do it. So pretty much within a few months of him saying that, we like we left and opened the doors of our own business, took one of the staff members from that current business. And yeah, we are... Uh, worked really hard I often get asked like what's harder being a pro triathlete or starting your own business and yeah I don't know it's it's a really close competition competition between the two because back in those days we were 24 years old we started that business with nothing like we didn't ask our parents for money we didn't take out a loan or anything like that and that's a lot of responsibility, like having to pay wages and rent and all that kind of stuff. And I, within six months of us opening the doors of the, that business, the GFC hit. Um, oh, and we man. had, we owned, yeah, yeah, it was awful. Like interest rates went up like four or five percent. And the thing that made it difficult for us is we actually owned like four or five properties between us at that age, at that time. So we had four or five properties that all went up four or five percent in interest. So yeah, it was a really difficult time, um, you know, having to pay tax, the tax office, all those kinds of things at that age. Like, I just remember lots of moments, like, you know, driving home from a client's appointment at nine o'clock at night and 
Nick, my business partner, calling me saying like our extension runs out at the tax office tomorrow, like we have to pay this 20 grand or 30 grand, whatever it was. And there was like tears, you know, and like high levels of stress because it was like choosing between having to pay yourself or having to pay a staff member or pay the rent or pay the tax office. So yeah, those those first few years in business were really difficult, lots of door knocking, but like we worked so, so, so hard. And I think that has all served me really well in transitioning to being a pro triathlete. But yeah, I think like between the ages of 24 and 30, when we were really growing those businesses, I, I don't even know how long I was working. I would have been working 10 hours a day, every day of the week, seven days a week for sure. I was like spending my weekends in the office. I clearly remember that like Saturdays and Sundays. The only difference was I went in in casual clothes, but I was spending like all day in the office every day. So I guess that's probably where um, my health started to really deteriorate and I guess I was good at hiding it because I would say oh I'm just a really busy business owner I really care about growing my business you know so um yeah that was the business life and right through until I was 30 when I did that that yeah that first triathlon I can't remember the second part of the question that you asked me I was rambling for so long oh that's okay so you yeah you went and saw Noosa and you decided to you know that was the trigger for you and you started doing some mm-hmm. sessions. So I was just asking what they kind of looked like. Mm. And then beyond that, yes. maybe then take us into the next stage and tell us about that 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 year from being a spectator at Noosa to actually going in and doing that event for yourself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's the other big regret I have is not keeping a training diary in that first year. It's funny, like at the time you think it doesn't mean anything, but looking back later on years down the track, it's actually quite interesting. What would be interesting to know exactly what you did. But I remember the first like probably four or five months, I was very, very conscious of what I looked like and my weight and had a lot of anxiety around that. Um, and that's important for people to hear because I, I'm sure that there's like people out there that never start doing something they want to do because they're so anxious about how people would be looking at them or how they feel about their body. So the first um, probably three months, I would say, I pretty much did everything on my own for say from January to like the start of March. And that just looked like I would swim um I would try and swim at lunchtime. That was my little trick. I would try and leave work and swim at lunchtime because I knew that the pool wasn't very busy at lunchtime. So I was just like less anxious about people seeing me and my behaviors. Um, but in those early days, we're talking like remembering I was a packet hay smoker. So my first swim was like literally a lap, like lap, like get one lap of the pool, catch my breath. And then I, I would have only been doing, you know, probably 10 laps. Um, each time I went to the pool as I and as I got better and better I would do more and more laps obviously but those early days was I was in a pretty bad state of health so I wasn't really doing that much I did a lot of running on the treadmill again because I lived in um, Albert Park like Port Melbourne sort of area of Melbourne which is uh, quite a busy area and Bayside suburbs so quite pretentious Um, so I was always worried about running outside and people seeing me so I did a lot of my running in the gym on the treadmill at the start, I'd say for the first like month, month and a half, um, a lot of walk running, like walking for one minute, running for one minute, or jogging, you'd probably call it. 
Um, and bike riding, yeah, I bought that like $600 road bike with flat pedals and I, it actually took me like a few days to even find cycling clothes that would fit me back then. Um, and that was a really ang- like highly anxious experience in itself, like walking into shops and having, you know, been told that they don't have anything that would fit you. Um, so, yeah, all of these scary moments for at least the first, like, six weeks, but all of it was on my own and it wasn't, like, structured or planned or anything. It was really just about getting out, pedaling the bike for 30 minutes up to 15 minutes out, 15 minutes back, and then the next time it might be 20 minutes out, 20 minutes back. So just really, like, the basics and moving and You know, I didn't focus on my weight, but I found that because I was committing to doing exercise twice a day, I just didn't feel like eat. Like I found it um, forced me not to eat as much because I just didn't feel like going out for my session after work with food in my tummy. So, yeah, it was great in that way that it really like helped me eat better as well. So the weight loss um, just came naturally with doing the exercise because I was exercising as well as making better decisions around food, even though I wasn't consciously on a diet or anything like that. So yeah, March, start of March, I joined a tri club. They had this like try the try four week like course for beginners. So after I'd been exercising by myself for a couple of months and get doing all the basics, I joined that tri club, did that try the try course for four weeks before my first try at the end of March. So yeah, it was actually from 14 and 15 were like such a huge, just a really rapid um, change in my life. Like I did that first triathlon, came 252nd female, which let's be honest, was probably last female. Um, and then end of, I did a couple of other little tries in between, but the end of 2014, I did the Noosa try and there were 250 or 260 girls just in my age group. And I came to 30th, I think. So between March and November was like a huge, obviously a huge, huge improvement. Um, and that was like, end of 2014 that Noosa trial was like a huge party I had a heap of bunch of new friends that I'd made and we just partied for like two or three days after the race it was such a big celebration I'd lost 40 kilos um in that time quit smoking started triathlon and come top 30 and probably the biggest triathlon in the southern hemisphere in my age group so um it was a huge celebration and then after the Noosa try in 2014 I wanted to try and do a half Ironman. So in February, 2015, I did Geelong 70.3 and I went five hours, 5.01 in that was my first half Ironman, obviously. Less than 12 months after I did my first sprint try uh, and I finished, I think like sixth or eighth or something in my age group. And then I did... Can 70.3 in June, so a few months later, and I came third in my age group. I think I did like 4.45, something like that around there. And then after that, there was a few people in my tri club doing Japan Ironman. It was the last Kona qualifying Ironman on the schedule in August, and I don't know, I just got caught up. I don't recommend this to anyone starting the sport, obviously, but I just got caught up in everyone saying, oh, you should do it, you should do it. 
So I did uh, Japan Ironman in August 2015, which would have been exactly 18 months after I did that first try. And I won my age group and qualified for Kona. And then Kona was six weeks after that. So I went to Kona after that. So in 2015, I did my first half Ironman, my first Ironman and my first Kona throughout 2015. Um, Yeah. That was the the eighteen month journey. <laughs> well, so that's a pretty steep trajectory. Um, I'm sure you can. I don't know if you what you were thinking about it in the moment, but surely now in reflection, you can see that's quite a quite a steep trajectory. So, um, yeah, I just want to go into that a little bit more, and and you know some of the evolutions from going to the pool and doing one lap at a time for ten laps, and then getting out and going back to work, to you know then doing that Noosa, which I think there was quite a in that twelve months obviously a lot of life changes with losing weight, stopping smoking and starting to, I think um, some of those other lifestyle habits starting to um, marry up and become more positive, mm-hmm. generally speaking, which is why you, you drop the weight. You got healthier first, then you got fitter, then you were able to put together a good Olympic distance triathlon, which is what Noosa is. And then fast forward to a 501 for your first 70.3 is pretty handy as well. What was happening? Were you working the same amount? Were you? Did you just have you know better balance, for lack of a better term, in terms of making time for training, um, or is it was yes. it because you cut out some of those other, you know, less beneficial lifestyle habits that that you were able to say get up a little bit earlier, be a bit more sprightly, do a training session, be more productive at work, uh, and then do more training afterwards. So just talk about the evolution from yeah those first couple of sessions where you're like right, I'm going to do this triathlon. Uh, I need to swim, bike, and run to, you know, mm-hmm. over the course of 18 months going, right, I'm going to do a 70.3. I'm going to do an Ironman. Hey, wait a minute. I might be able to qualify for Kona because obviously there would have been a lot of progressions through there. So I don't know if you want to do it, yeah. you know, listed as your top three or top five type things or mm-hmm. whether you just want to do it in stages like you have so far in the conversation. Yeah, it was like, I, I would say it's a combination of all the things that you mentioned. Like, obviously, I, um so there's a few few parts to this I guess as I had a steep trajectory but I'm also very cognizant of the fact I have a very addictive obsessive personality um just by way of my background and everything you can kind of tell that and I once I set my and I mean not just my overweight unhealthy background but also my business background you know like starting such a young age and building those businesses quite quickly and stuff it's anything I kind of set my mind to um, it's like I have this one vision and everything else kind of goes by the wayside and, and it can be very unhealthy at times. Um, but I'm also learning to manage that better as I grow, as I get older. So there was that part to it that obviously I'd found something that I was, I really, really loved and I'd set my mind to just wanting to be better Um uh and wanting to like win and wanting to be good so there was that obsessive addictive part but there was also all the things that you mentioned like I'd become healthier so yes like in in the past getting up for work and doing 70 hours a week of work that's not hard you know if you're getting up at 6 30 you're at the office by 7 you know you're leaving by 6 whatever it is um there's still a lot of day either side of that but when you're unhealthy and probably unhappy um you know like there's not much motivation to do anything and you're too tired basically and too lazy probably to do things outside of those hours um so yeah when I started triathlon I was definitely working 
the same amount of hours. Um, we were like really busy back then because we we're in the growth phase of the business. So all I was doing differently was like getting up earlier and training later, basically on either side of work. So I was definitely doing the same amount of hours in the early days. As I got better, um, like around doing that first 70.3 time, um, all I did was cut back my hours a bit to more normal working hours. So instead of doing like 70 hours a week of work, I was doing 55 to 60 and I wasn't going to work on weekends. And I guess that's when I became kind of aware of the fact that I probably was really unhappy a lot, you know, during those years. Um, going to the office on weekends, um, it was probably just to, a lot of it was, yes, I was working, but also I had nothing else, you know, I had nothing else in my life. So I was just doing that. I was on autopilot all the time. So when I started triathlon, um, yeah, I had something else. So I just simply stopped working on weekends. And that was great for our business because my business partner never, he was quite sporty and active, so he never worked weekends. So he was really happy when I started doing that. So, yeah, it was definitely a progression. Early days, I would say, working the same amount of hours to 2015, stopping working on weekends. Um, but, yes, definitely getting up earlier to get those sessions in and getting those sessions in after work. It wasn't until 2000 and I would say, 17 um, when I was transitioning from age group to sort of pro that I approached my business partner and said, yeah, I really need to cut back my hours at work. But that was more in that second phase of life, like heading towards racing professionally. Yeah. Okay. So work didn't certainly didn't suffer um, in that first 18 months. It was just probably a little bit more balanced and you had, um, it sounds like you've basically cut out some work time largely on the weekend and that, that became your training time. Yeah, and I, I was a better person too, you know. Like it's, I, I don't think work suffered. I think it actually was better for our staff because I was kind of leading by example and living a much healthier life. I was definitely more vibrant, um, had more energy. So if anything, I don't think, yeah, I think the output was the same. It just required less effort because I was in a better state of health. And how did Kona go, that, that first one? So 18 months from looking and, or seeing Noosa and liking the look of it? to and uh, to committing to doing Noosa 12 months later and then and then not long after that you're doing your first 70.3 a second 70.3 your first Ironman and then Kona so yeah, how did how I, did Kona I, go <laughs> it went pretty bad <laughs> as you would expect it to six weeks after your first Ironman but it was so funny I like specifically remember because like typical high achiever like attitude um I remember my coach at the time saying, okay, like just just go out and have fun. Like just enjoy the fact that you're even here. Like what you've achieved in the last 18 months is pretty much in unheard of in the sport. Like just enjoy it. Don't have any expectations. But I was like saying to him a few days before that, no, I really think I can have a good race. And he was also trying to say like, you know, you just did an Ironman six weeks ago, like in another country, your body's just going to be he was more or less just trying to tell me it was going to be a bad day. So just enjoy it. And I just remember like having this conversation with him saying, no, I really think like I can have a good race. Blah, blah, blah. But anyway, of course it was a nightmare. Well, I say a nightmare, but I think there was like 80 odd girls in our age group. And I think I finished like 45th or something. So I still finished like, you know, mid pack. 
Um, so it wasn't that bad, but yeah, it was like a really fun experience. Actually, it's so funny how it happened because my, one of my best friends that I'd made in triathlon in this time, she'd qualified for Kona earlier in the year in New Zealand. And I was just like, thought she was amazing. And all these girls that qualified for Kona were just amazing. So I was like, oh, I'm coming to Kona with you to support. And I'm just going to come on a holiday. Like I'll take my annual leave from work at that time. And so I booked accommodation and everything at Kona for three weeks back in the March of that year when she qualified, because I was going to go on this holiday, drink cocktails, like go to the beach, watch her race, help her in the lead up. That was my plan. And then, yeah, when I did my Ironman and qualified, it was just funny how it all worked out. Like, yeah, gone was the holiday. I had to go and do the race, but I had all my accommodation and everything booked anyway because I was already going there. So, yeah, it was like the funnest experience. We did like the undie run and all the stuff that you do when it's your first Kona. So it was a really, really fun few weeks. Uh, it must have been. It was meant to be then. Tell us about exactly. your – Tell us about the – you know, tell us about your times. So you told us your 70.3 times, but how did Japan go and what were your swim, bike, run splits overall time? And then how did Kona go swim, yeah. bike, run splits overall time? We love this stuff. Japan, yeah, Japan. Well, Japan, probably not a great example. Japan and Kona that year, probably not a great example because Japan is a race that if you put that in front of me right now, I wouldn't do it. <laughs> it was like, it was so great to be naive back then. It was in a resort. Uh, like ski resort town Hokkaido so we had to ride up two mountain passes in the Ironman I think there was like 2,800 meters of elevation gain which like for some perspective I just did a ride here yesterday it took me five and a half hours and I did 3,000 meters of elevation gain and I went to bed I had 11 hours sleep last night because I was just ruined <laughs> so yeah, that Ironman, like I just, because I'd never done an Ironman, actually I lived in Melbourne, so I'd never really like ridden that many hills and stuff before. I didn't really understand. I just had no idea. So yeah, it was, I think my ride time was like six hours and 15 minutes or something like that. Um, and the marathon, I came off the bike and the tracking because it was in this like little resort town the tracking was really sketchy you know what it's like with Ironman sometimes anyway my coach and my mum were there like supporting me and I came off the bike and my coach said oh the trackers like we can't see where your next competitor is like they're not coming across the last split on the bike so just go out in like you know the pace we just you know we discussed and all that kind of stuff and run your own race and I'll give you an update like as soon as we find you on course and figure out what's going on on this tracker so anyway the first and also not only like 2800 meters elevation gain and two mountain passes on the bike course um the actual run the first i think it was like 20k was on trail like gravel trail like hilly gravel trail i think there was about 500 meters of elevation gain on the run so it was like a really really difficult course I can't even remember what the pro times were like back then it would be able to find them if it looked up they were like really slow the winning pro times um so anyway I go out on this run and I'm just like doing my thing and felt fine whatever and then my coach and my mum at the, around the 20k mark I was like running towards him and I just see my coach with this huge smile on his face and he's like uh the next person behind you in your age group is an hour behind you 
(laughs) and he's like yeah he's like so just you know walk run and enjoy it the next 20k and as long as you don't f anything up you'll be on a Kona (laughs) so yeah it was like just a big it's so nice this first Ironman experience because yeah I just I got to like walk run and like every time I saw them on course I'd like stop and give them a hug and it was just great I really didn't have to try very hard so I think I was like a four-hour marathon or something like that pretty much just like walk running that second half and I, I think I ended up winning my age group by yeah it was still like an hour or 50 minutes or something like that so I had no pressure and it was a really cool experience because I didn't have to push really hard wasn't sick or anything like that because I wasn't pushing really hard and I really got to soak it all up and I definitely had a few moments on that course like few teary moments like especially riding the bike up in the mountain passes and that where I was just like I just can't believe I'm doing this now you know like looking back to what my life was like 18 months prior and just thinking I'm out winning my freaking age group like in the middle of the mountains in Japan like this is insane so yeah it was a really cool and really memorable first Ironman experience so time wise I actually don't I think it was close to like 11 hours or something that first Ironman and I think Kona, gosh, it would have been slow, like would have been high 10s, I'm guessing, like 10.45s, 10.50s around there for that first Kona. Um, so they were the first two Ironmans, two in six weeks. And then I did uh, Port Mac in my next, obviously after Kona, I was like, oh, I need to come back here and try and do better. So 2016, I did Port mac and we had a really competitive age group actually um it was really well like back then it was like the 30 to 34 age group females like there was a lot of superstars back then and all these girls i looked up to in awe for years and i think there was like five of us racing that year but i did 10 15 at port mac that year and came third um and qualified for kona again and then did kona again in 16. Okay, so before we move on to the next chapter, so I was sort of calling that first 18 months, you know, the, you know, you as a beginner triathlete, if you like, even though some of the results and experiences would suggest otherwise, like that was when it was early stages, it was new and so on. Are there any takeaway lessons or things that you, you know, you look back on now and, you know, they were really valuable and important things that, you know, other people could, could take from that and, and your, your journey? And experience over that period in your life? No, I think like the overarching message I have is like if you want something, um, you have to be willing to work for it. Like a lot of my, you know, when people hear of that like breakdown of my story or summary of my story, I get a lot of, um, you know, like even age groupers or people that started the sport at the same time, they oh, but you must be like so talented, like to be able to do that so quickly. And the bottom line is I am not talented at all. Like, and I get told that all the time in professional sport because, of, you know, my numbers and my natural physiology, like I might have a talent for endurance, but I, I'm not talented at swimming or biking or running at all. It's like work ethic. And it used to annoy me sometimes, you know, like back then when um, some of my friend or other age groupers would say, or, oh, 
you know, I was just getting those good results because I was naturally talented at it. You know, I just, it just, yeah, the, the bottom line is I, I worked really, really hard and I was prepared to do things that my friends and other age groupers weren't prepared to do. That's the bottom line. So I just think the message is there, like, yeah, if you want something and you want to be an elite age group or you want to be at the top, then you have to be prepared to do things that other people aren't prepared to do and work harder than everyone else. So what did that look like? Do you remember sort of what a typical week of training might look like? So hours per week, you know, number of swim, bike and run, those sorts of things? When I, yeah, yeah. Like when I, I don't, that 2000 and, uh, 2015, I can't remember if it was my lead up to my first Ironman or the lead up to Port Mac in 2016, but I was training like, it's quite embarrassing actually to say this because I feel like I should have been better for this amount of training, but I was training between 25 and 28 hours a week as working full-time as an age grouper preparing for those Ironmans because I had huge goals and I had, I guess, the advantage that I have. And I hate saying it's an advantage because I worked my ass off to get myself into that situation with work. Um, But I had the advantage of running my own business so I could be more flexible with my hours. And that doesn't mean I had to work less. It just meant that I could move my hours around um, to suit my training because running your own business obviously you can allocate things to staff and whatever but I had the advantage of if I needed to work from home for a few hours in a morning or whatever I could do that as long as the work was getting done and the income was coming in and all that kind of stuff then that was okay so I did have that um, advantage with work that I could be more flexible with my training hours but yeah leading up to either that first or the second Ironman I can't remember which one I've still got like screenshots of my Garmin and stuff like I was doing three hour runs you know like three hour run in the morning and half an hour run in the afternoon I was literally training yeah 25 to 28 hours a week and I there was a guy called Nathan Shearer I'm not sure if any of your listeners remember him he won the Ironman World Championships in his age group, super talented, awesome guy in 2016. Like I did a lot of my prep um, leading up to Kona 2016 with him. Like we would go and do four-hour ride on a Tuesday morning, six-hour ride on a Saturday. Like we both had the same coach. Um, so I was, I wouldn't say training like a pro because definitely the intensity, there wasn't as, as much intensity as I do now, but in terms of volume, um I was definitely between that 25 to 28 two long rides a week you know I was running I remember doing some weeks like 90 to 95k of running um not not every week but like peaking at that kind of volume before the race swimming I would have been around that 20k a week mark but yeah a lot of biking and a lot of running in the lead up to those important Ironmans any standout sessions or standout weeks that you can go into detail about just for fun? Gosh, you're really, you're really testing my memory. Um, I'd say those, like, I, I distinctly remember Tuesdays we would ride Nathan and I. So this is like a best in the world, like age group male I'm riding with. But I distinctly remember those Tuesday sessions that was Mount, I was living in Melbourne with it was a Mount Martha return some of your listeners would know where that is and we would like leave I don't know I guess at like 5am whatever yeah 5am in the morning or something like that and I, my goal was just like to sit on his wheel to stay on his wheel so I 
there would be times I didn't get a power meter until like 2016, but yeah, there would be times definitely um, when my average power for those four hours would have been up over 200 watts, like normalized, which for a female at 60 kilos is like pretty good going, especially as an age grouper. Um, so there was like, yeah, those Tuesday sessions were just like all about looking at his wheel and staying on his wheel. And actually, I remember a couple of times that Nathan has reminded me of this a couple of times over the years, like he had a bad day and there was like multiple times I had to tow him home on those rides. So yeah, always good, like funny in hindsight looking back, but that was always like a key session for me. And then uh, the Saturday like brick run, like the six hour ride with, you know, 30 minutes off the bike was always a big session. And we used to do these loops out near Werribee, like it was a flat, like 20K loop. So we'd do a six hour ride, including, I can't remember the exact details. It might be say including like 60K at like Ironman pace around this loop and then run 30 minutes off the bike. They were always the two really big kind of key sessions where I was riding with the big boys and there's a really strong age group guys. And I think that's contributed to the, my cycling always sort of being a strength. Okay. So I think we can establish you're well and truly a triathlete now. So phase one <laughs> is complete. You're a triathlete. You're up to 25 to 28 hours a week, still working full time, but got a bit of flexibility in there, doing a little bit mm-hmm. of training with others. Um, yeah. Really dialing in some of these keys key sessions and continuing development. I hope you are enjoying the episode with Renee so far. This ended up being a longer chat than we anticipated. So again, we have decided to split the episode into two parts and I'm excited to bring you part two next time. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening to the Diary of an Age Grouper podcast. If you have any questions, feedback or ideas for future guests, please contact us via the Diary of an Age Grouper Instagram page. Alternatively, you can email info at jetcoaching.com.au. Don't forget to like, comment, share and subscribe. This podcast was born to discuss all things age group triathlon. As an athlete, coach and fan of the sport, I have always been intrigued with different approaches to training and how to optimize an individual's performance. We will speak to athletes who perform at a high level, as well as those with an interesting story, We'll speak to coaches with a vast array of experience and also experts in various fields. We want to sift through what the physiology labs tell us, as well as what we see the pros doing and take the lessons that apply to us. This is the Diary of an Age Grouper.